Hey now. All right. I'm, 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 I'm desk drumming to your music. Awesome, brother. Well, that means the world to me right there. <laughs> uh, it's uh, Sorry I'm late. I know everybody's like, what the hell? But here we are. It's rock and roll, right? And it's what it is. So my name is Rob, and I own a school called Rob School of Music, and uh, I'm not sure I came up with that name, but it works. And, uh, <laughs> we do music lessons, man, and you know we've been talking ever since the pandemic started. You know, mm -hmm. trying weekly just to get to hang with you know famous musicians and people we look up to. So thank you so much for being part of this. It means the oh world. man, I'm I'm all about you know uh, spreading. Uh, I don't know what I'm spreading. Love, uh, uh, knowledge, experience, yeah. all that stuff. I mean, yeah. I love. Sure, you know, when I'm on the road, I hate days off, so I book clinics and master classes and all that stuff. And uh, the more kids, the better for me, because I feel like, you know, they need to know what they're getting into. <laughs> exactly, dude. Exactly. So, honestly, that that starts me off with kind of my first question. So, um, one of the things that we used to do here back when we had in-person lessons is we would take a lot of our students and put them into into bands and oh, get awesome. them performing. You know, at local bars, we put on events. And a lot of these musicians were younger in their journey, you know, not necessarily in age, but just, you know, in the beginning of their, their musical journey and anxiety, nerves, stage fright, all that stuff kind of beats the crap out of them. Yeah. And the biggest stages imaginable. Do you have any tips for that? Well, you know, it's funny. I have a great experience of that myself because up until COVID, I was doing a summer camp um, and I was a faculty member and it was exactly what you're talking about. There's like a uh, hundred kids from, from I think uh, 11 to 17 and uh, they're putting put in a band and you see them grow in three nights. They would perform Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday was the last night. So Monday night, they learn a tune and they get on stage and they're scared stiff. And then Tuesday night, they loosen up a little bit. Wednesday night, they're rock stars. And then Thursday night, they're stiff again because their parents came and I was like, can we like ban parents night? Because <laughs> just when they become rock stars, they fall back into that little hole again. But you know what? I, I saw kids, uh, you know who's there to be hang out with their friends and you know who's really taking it seriously. And there, there are times when you're watching your band and you feel like a proud parent and maybe even shed a tear because your singer is killing Radiohead and you're like, how did this happen? You know, it's pretty amazing, you know? So I feel like uh, that was a, an amazing experience for me and maybe why I get really into like, you know, um, speaking to kids and, and getting them started in the right direction. I feel like getting on the big stage is, is just a bonus, you know? I feel like, uh, and I tell kids too, because everybody's like, I want, how do I do this and how do I do this? And the industry has changed so much. What I, uh, what I instill, try to instill in, in, in uh, the young musician's head is uh, if you're trying to, if you're getting into music to make money, I think twice about it. I think you have to make music because you love making music. So for the love of it, and if you make money, then that's a bonus. And I don't think that just applies to young kids too. I think it applies to any age. If you're, uh, you know, thinking of quitting your job, maybe think twice. <laughs> but I mean, what about you? You're like, you started a school because you, you're, you're talking, you're doing, you took what I was talking about as a faculty member of a camp to the next level of just starting a school, which yeah. is amazing. It's, it's the craziest experience because like for me, 
prior to music, I was super shy, like just no identity, like even in like a family setting, like hugging the wall and just up until like in mid teens, even and playing guitar gave me a ton of confidence. So I, I see that happening in, in younger, you know, kids just they're they're nothing that they're just lost and they're maybe getting bullied or whatever's going on and all of a sudden they get this identity through music and they can do anything yeah it's uh it's an amazing thing like my my son is seven and he walks around the house singing all the time and it's funny because he's got this new thing uh he'll start singing the song i'll start singing along and he goes huh, i'll work alone <laughs> <laughs> what that's crazy yeah <laughs> hey man when, when you first started you know i think it's always super fascinating to what what was like the genesis for you like was there a particular record or a show you saw and you're like this is what i want to do with my life well it was my dad my dad uh even when i was four or five like you know you can't really hold a guitar but he'd get me like plastic ukuleles and by the time i'm five and my my family was really modest back when i was five like we were in a two-bedroom apartment in toronto with uh four kids and sometimes my two grandparents in this tiny little apartment so that just gives you an idea but my dad when i was five i said i want a real guitar he went and got me an electric guitar and um and that that spoke volumes. I mean, I, it's, it speaks more volumes now. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, he came, I got the guitar, and I, again, I could barely hold it, but uh, he he played bazooki, which is, so I grew up listening to Greek music, and that was basically my, introdu- my introduction to uh, um, major and minor, because it's so passionate. Greek music is so passionate. And the melody, and my dad could pull out a bazooki any party and it was like Elvis is in the building and he could make people laugh and he can make people cry with old political songs from the forties. And that's, that was major made them laugh and minor made them cry despite the lyrics. I go, wow, this is, even as a kid, I was, I was, it was kind of, it was like such, such an impact. Um, and then, so, and then we both loved Elvis too. So I learned some Elvis songs. And when I was eight, I had an Elvis set. And it was like a teddy bear and blue suede shoes. And then uh, when I was eight, I got up at a Greek wedding. And it was, I was like, he's my dad. was, hey, why don't, why don't you get up and sing some of us? I'm like, oh, no, man. There's a lot of people here. I don't want to do that. He goes, hey, you got this. Don't worry about it. And then next thing I know, I'm on stage playing the wedding band guitar player's guitar and singing, you know, polyester pants and singing uh, Elvis. And I remember, and this is before YouTube, you have to remember that nobody else is seeing this except the people in that room. And they all freaked out. Who is this kid? And then when I was done, it was just, it was like the the accolades just ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like, it was kind of like, uh, wow, this is really, really, really what I want to do. This is pretty amazing. So it was, uh, I, I mean, that to be eight and have that kind of uh, response, it uh, it really set you going. And then it was talent shows at school, and 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 then Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I saw Van Halen with Roth when I was fourteen in nineteen eighty. I saw the consecutive uh, um, tours of uh, 
you know, uh, Women and Children First, and then it was Diver Down, no, Fair Warning, Diver Down, 1984. And uh, that, that, that was life-changing to see that when you're such a, a budding young musician because it makes you realize that this is what a rock band is supposed to do. Not only be like four superheroes on stage, but to, to, to give you the goosebumps and to make you think like there's nothing like this on the planet and this is what I need to do. And uh, so it was all that stuff. And I feel sorry, this is what I, during this pandemic, I feel sorry for kids that can't go to see a live show. They can't go to like, okay, obviously you don't have to go to a bar to see a show, but you can't go see a band at uh, your favorite band at the local arena or large theater or a stadium or anything like that. And that's when you feel the music penetrate your, your, your outer layer and, and make a home in your heart. It's like, I don't know how, I, I hope we get back up and running soon. So, you know, kids can experience that. Definitely, man. It's, it's, um, you know, part of being a teacher is I get to watch someone here, you know, Guns N' Roses the first time, hear Van Halen the first time, yeah. and watch them be like, oh my God, and then be playing it. But then I've experienced, I took my son to see Kiss February before everything hit the fan. Wow. And like, he's like, he was, uh, nice. No, was eight at the time. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah, I think eight, maybe seven. Can't remember. He'll be 10 this year. So whatever that math works. But like I just taped him as they open with Detroit Rock City, the curtain drops and just watching like his life changed. Like he's like, yeah. Dad, I want to look because prior to that, like he was dabbling in things. But he's like, I want to play music. Like I want to take every instrument you can teach me. And I was like, OK, yes. Converted. It's well, my, our, my kids go through phases like uh, my son has a drum kit and sometimes he gets on there and pounds on it. And he's got a guitar and he sits at a piano and the piano thing is pretty amazing because he'll uh He'll pick without guidance, pick out notes and and then he figures out a melody and then he knows the hook and he goes, Hey dad, check it out. And he's like playing this thing. And I'm like, What? And he's in C. I can tell he's in the key of C. So he ends it and looks at me, and I go over and I, I try to put a finale on it, like dong. And he goes, Dad, you totally ruined it. <laughs> but the phase thing is that like we have uh my wife and I do the same where we feed uh, frontline workers. So, you know, fire departments, police, uh, police departments. And uh, we had, a, when, when we were still in California, we have a friend who he was celebrating five years as a firefighter. So we went, he goes, can you guys come to the fire station and all, all my buddies and the coworkers and stuff like that. And we'll eat and we'll fill, bring a guitar and a little amp and play eruption for everybody. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I, I'm not the greatest at that right now, but I'll do anything for you. So I did that and the kids came and everybody's wearing masks because it was during COVID and stuff. And and then after my my son watched me play Eruption and saw everybody respond. And then he just came up to me and goes, hey dad, can you give me a guitar, a guitar lesson later? And I'm like, yeah, sure buddy. And I'm thinking to myself, I know what you're thinking. One lesson and you'll do that. <laughs> But that, that's uh, that's not how it works, you know. And then he finds out how hard he has to press on the frets or the strings, and then he finds ah, let's do something else. So I'm I'm trying to you know work patience into his programming. But you know it's funny. The I love I love uh, being able to again with my children and other children. You know, I have a niece and a nephew, and and uh, 
two nieces and my other niece is she's getting into programming and writing lyrics and it's it's really amazing to see these these musicians start from the beginning and grow yeah see where they go yeah it's um it's inspiring for me you know like a lot of people prior to covid i was playing three to five night uh, gigs a week Literally, wow. a music duo. My girlfriend's a singer. We would just play constantly. Yeah. So, you know, we haven't done a single gig in over a year, and everyone's like, "Oh, well, what's going on with your playing?" Blah blah blah. I'm like, my chops are better than they've ever been because I'm now playing music, not as maybe my job, but now I'm just playing to play and learning new things. My students are learning things that I never would have been able to teach prior because I'm just in love with music all over again. Sort of like to be on that same wave. You know, it's it's funny because I feel like sometimes. I think the first three months of COVID, I I was scared because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what was going to, like everybody else, I didn't know how I was going to provide for my family, that kind of thing. So that's when I was coming up with new chops and stuff like this. And I'm actually, I started writing uh, Phil, 50 Phil X licks, tabbed out, notated, all that stuff, and a link to, it's going to be a PDF book, so all the links are going to go to a, a video of me doing it fast and slow. But then when I got busy again in June, I just went back, I fell back into the, the typical routine of this is what I do. My favorite, when I was on fire, when I was, was when I was gigging a lot, I get into a mode where, um, especially if it's the drills, if I go out on the road with the drills after four or five gigs and the momentum of gig, 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 my, this hand will do exactly what I tell it to do, and this hand will follow. And they just lock up. And that's when I'm like, oh, man, I'm in the zone. Because uh, I feel like no matter how much you practice, you can't really apply it until you're in front of an audience where the light's in your eye and somebody's boob falls out. And, you know, this whole thing is happening, and you, there's distractions. And then, but when you can keep that, your hands speaking to each other on your instrument in that way throughout all the stuff, you know, all the, how did my cable come unplugged? And then you're, you back at it. You know, when you have that working against you, I feel that's when you really apply it and when it really, really becomes a part of your DNA. Dude, I can't agree with you more. Like, you know, I, we've done all of our lessons virtually for the last year. We've done like over 5,500 lessons. Anyone wow. watching this, you can click a link in the description. We'll give you a free lesson. Um, that's all set up. So we're looking. I don't want a free lesson. <laughs> okay, we'll trade. We'll go back. <laughs> you teach me your bazooki guitar thing, and then I'll teach you, uh, you know, how to give a great high five. <laughs> um, but I lost my train. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. Oh, no. So when we're, when we're doing the virtual lessons, like it's been a, a you know difficult to to transfer the knowledge. And I, you know, those distractions of when doing a gig, I think that's, you know, we try and give people a real world music education where stuff goes wrong. You know, it's not perfect and cookie cutter. So as people are playing on a virtual lesson, I'll start to hit, you know, like different sound effects and stuff to distract them as they're playing. And they're like, you know, in the middle of like stairway and I'm like, <laughs> I just don't know what to do, but it totally messes them up. And I'm like, that might happen. That might happen. Something might go wrong. You got to throw like picks at them. Here's a French fry. <laughs> ah, you got me in the eye. Um, you know, it's, I, I love, this is what I, I, my, my biggest takeaway from doing the camp with the kids was uh, my singer, 
And it was funny because she's 16, um, stunning because she's a model and goes to Tokyo to model uh, clothes for 16-year-olds and stuff like that. And she goes, I want to do message in a bottle. And I'm like, okay. And none of my guitar, I have four guitar players. Nobody can play the riff. Let's start there. And I'm trying to show everybody. And I'm like, okay, if we're going to put time into this, I need to hear you sing it. So I play it. And she gets on the mic and nails. Wow. Bang. Nails the syncopation. Nails the, 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 the little embellishments and Sting's voice as he's delivering each lyric. And she just, I'm like, we got to do it. We got to do it. So I split up the, look, so I have this guy. Okay, so he's a shredder. And when I'm not talking and telling people what to play and stuff like that, he's in the corner. He can play anything. But he can't play Message in a Bottle. <laughs> like, he can tap stuff that I can't even tap. But he can't play Message in a Bottle. So, uh, so I'm, I'm now, but I'm determined because I have this singer who's nailing Sting in Message in a Bottle. So I go, okay, you go. So just doing the, the first two notes of the phrase. Oh, no. I, okay, wait. Let me backtrack. One guy's just doing the single note root. So, and then you go. So, now you got this cool stereo image happening. It's really smart. Yeah. So, I'm, I, thank you. And I'm like, hey, this is, this is turning out pretty cool. And then, uh, and then we started playing it. The drummer's getting it. He's got his best Stuart Copeland going on. The bass player's doing it. I'm like, wow, this sounds so great. And so we take a break. There's lunch. There's a master class. Second rehearsal before the show. My shredder comes up to me and goes, Phil, check it out. I think you can play the riff. And I'm like, what you do? He goes, I skipped lunch. <laughs> <laughs> it killed me that I could play all that stuff, but couldn't play that. So I had to work on it. I was like, wow. See, determination. And that was a, that was a valuable moment for me. Um, because I mean, that, that was always me. That was always like, if I couldn't do something, I had to put the time into it. Yeah. And I think that's what people, you know, when I was doing Skype lessons years ago, the, you know, what do you want to do? I want to play fast. Okay, but that's not going to happen in this hour. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh let's take some time let's start like this and then grow you know speed comes at its own pace wow that's an interesting sense but uh you know I, I mean even me if i i don't i don't need to get any faster but i feel like i could always be cleaner like i've been cleaner before before i became a dad is when the syncopation and accuracy was phenomenal <laughs> and then when i became a dad everything became you know second and third place so um i'm a little sloppy now but i mean there's there's uh, there's a little passion in that slot dude i think what you just said too is brilliant because like music there's a couple things in life that you can't buy you can't right. buy being in great shape and you can't buy being great at music you got to earn it. You got to put in the time. And I love that that kid skipped lunch. That's, a, I mean, that's inspiring, you know? Yeah. To anyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. I'd like to talk a bit about your session stuff before we get into the drills and Bon Jovi and everything. So I've yeah. had on here, uh, Richard Fortas and Tim Pierce and, and a bunch of just uh, Paul Pasco, like big session guys. And, uh, just, just sweethearts. And 
it's just always fascinating. So at what, along the journey, how does the session element come into play as you're doing your own thing and playing in other bands? Is it at the same time or is it just different gigs for different days? Like what was your experience with that? Well, there, there was a time where, um, when, when labels still had budgets and gave them to artists. And there was a time in like 2000, the mid 2000s, I, I want to say between like 2004 to 2009, where I was busy, like all the time and, and making really good money. And, and I think, I think being a musician, there's, there's two things that is really important is, is definitely one is being yourself. And, and the second one is standing out. If you can be yourself and stand out, you usually in that case, like I, that's what made me get to where I was. Cause I, I it was like, uh, I was there uh, at the beginning when I started doing sessions, it was, um, it was word of mouth. And I remember when it with one producer, one particular producer, Howard Benson, when, he didn't know who I was, but he heard I should, he should get me. And then I came in and, you know, hey, so I want a big chorus and a chorus C, uh, you know, sparkly little arpeggio in the, in the chorus. And, uh, and then you're kind of like, okay, this is, okay. This is too, it's, it's kind of like got old, old, old really quick, you know, especially if you're working on a whole record and that's your plan. You're, you're kind of like, it, it, it doesn't add enough variety, especially like for me, for, for instance, um, as a, I like to be creative and inventive and, and it just, it, I was there for the, I, I remember it in my head. I was in the studio the first time and he said there were the, the instructions. And then the more I worked with the, his engineer, Mike Plotnikoff, who's, a, who's an amazing friend now, he, we, the more we started working together, the more I was like, Hey, let's try this in the course or let's try this or let's try that. And then we would do, we do, we'd add a different color in every song. And then Mike was getting like really excited and I was getting really excited. And then I came in for a session one time and Howard walked in and he goes, Oh, it's you. Just do your thing. I'll be back in four hours. You know, that kind of thing. So I thought, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm on to something good here. And I think that's, I think that's really important. I think a lot of people, you can't, even when you think you have a niche, you can't hold on to that for much longer because that niche will become what you hear in a car commercial pretty quick. And you don't want an, a, an artist coming in and you doing car commercial overdubs on, a, you know, their song. You have to roll with change and, and that's and that how the industry changed. Nobody's been having to roll more than that. But uh, I think that's what happened. I think this guy gave this guy, the, my favorite, I got your number from so-and-so was, uh, you know, I was working with Rob Zombie and he said, Hey, did Alice call you yet? And I'm like, Alice, he's like, Cooper, I gave him your number last week. And I was like, right. Alice Cooper's going to call me. Cause I was a huge fan. I had the greatest hits record that I spun endlessly when I was a kid. And, uh, and then I didn't get a call from Alice directly, but obviously it was a producer called him, Bob Marlette said, Hey, uh, I hear I'm supposed to use you. You want to come in on Wednesday, play on a couple of songs. And he didn't know who I was um, either at the time. So, but I'm this guy that's just, I had a, I didn't want to walk in with my sk sticker guitar. 
So, you know, I had that and I had a telly and I borrowed a Les Paul from my friend to play on this. You know, I wanted to walk in, new producer, oh, at least he's got a Les Paul, you know? <laughs> so, and, and, the, and the funny thing about that was uh, he just, I think he just was using me to just appease Rob Zombie or no, Alice Cooper appeasing Rob Zombie. Hey, I used your guy, that kind of thing, right? And it was pretty, uh, it was, uh, Bob just basically said, okay, I, just, I did all the rhythm guitars and the bass myself. I need pixie dust, go. And hit record. There, is, there wasn't even listen to this track. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So out of the top of my head, to my hands, to my amp, onto Pro Tools, and he stops and he goes, that was great, double it. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know what I did. I need to hear it to double it. You know, track it, stack it, crack it, lack it. So um, it was one of those uh, moments where I thought, see, dude, just, you know what you're doing. Just don't let anybody intimidate you. Just go in there and kick ass. And that's another thing. Um, delivering. People say you have to be at the right place at the right time. But I think what's more important is when you're at that right place at the right time is delivering. If you don't deliver... You're, you know, you get one knock at the door, and if you don't rise to the occasion, then they move on to somebody else. So, uh, in in the case with Bob, he figured out what two songs I could play on, and then when I was done, he was like, "I got another nine songs you could play on. Can you come back on Friday?" And that was, and that's how that went. Um, so it's it's a pretty amazing um, feeling when you you can do stuff like that and then he was working with another band after that and they came up to me man I, you did this thing with bob marlette and he totally freaked out and you freaked him out and now i'm freaking out and if you say the, the word man i'll keep my guitar player out of the band and you're in <laughs> it's like it's that, but that you know it, it's cool when it's word of mouth but it's also really cool when when the word is you know off the charts that's awesome man i think that's inspiring also because it's 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 intimidating in these situations, you know, oh, yeah. as a musician coming up, like I always try and instill in, in anyone who comes through this school that being a professional musician might not always be, you know, being the next Eddie Van Halen, that there's, right. there's jobs for us along the way, be it a session guy or doing a wedding band or whatever it is. And I think bringing your A game to every gig is how you're always going to get the next gig and the elusive hang. You got to be cool. You can't be an asshole. And I think, right. That's just, you can't learn that. You just got to be that. I think, I think that was really cool. Well, wait, before I get into hired gun, I, I just want to say that there will never be a next Eddie Van Halen. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And then, uh, <laughs> never. And then, um, but you know, the, that's why it was cool for people, uh, to see hired gun. I think hired gun had a huge audience, like, cause it was entertaining for anyone. But if you were thinking about being a hired gun, a session guy, a guy who goes on tour with Rihanna, that kind of thing. Um, it really, it really opened a lot of eyes. Like, wow, you know. And people, somebody came up to me. I forget who it was, and I don't think it's true, but I thought it was funny. He goes, "Man, I just saw Hired Gun," and I'm like, "Oh, what'd you think? You seem like the only really happy guy." <laughs> I don't think that's true, but I think it's. Uh, I mean. I think what you said, and then even Alice Cooper said that too. Alice Cooper actually said that, you know, you don't want to be an asshole when you go on the road. Nobody wants to take an asshole 
into a, into a tour bus. Right. So that's, that's pretty important, but, um, you know, it's being a team player and, um, I know a guy in LA that gets sessions because he always knows where to get the best lunch. Wow. And, uh, I'm like, wow. Okay. You stick to that because it's working. I mean, whatever works, do it. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about your singing voice a bit here. Obviously you're an incredible guitar player shred all over the place, but, um, I was at Nam, the last Nam there was, and uh, I stumbled into the Gibson, their giant, beautiful showroom at the end of the Friday show. And you're up there on stage shredding away. And uh, my girlfriend as a singer goes, listen to that guy's voice. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and she just didn't hear it. She didn't see the room of a thousand beautiful Gibson guitars and, and just face melting solo. She's like, he's a good singer. I'm like, yes, he, he's a good singer as well. Wow. Tell her thank you. Yeah. So what, along the way, how did you develop that? Like, do, do you have uh, warm up routines? I mean, you, you just have the quintessential rock and roll voice. I'm laughing because I just put up a, I just put up a video last week on Instagram and it was like, uh, people ask me how I warm up. The answer is to a blender and me sing to the blender. And I'm hitting this. I, I go, I go from Bruce uh, Dickinson to Steven Tyler. And, and, uh, it's pretty funny, but, um, I really don't have, uh, for me, when I go out with the drills, I just got to make sure all the cobwebs are out, which is really like, yeah, uh-huh. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And then, uh, I, I always, I pick a, the first song on the show to be a good warm up to. It gets my placement. Um, cause that's really important. If I don't have my placement, I've had, we opened up with, uh, air hockey champion of the world one time and it did not help me get my placement for the rest of the show. So it's really important to get my placement. Um, so, uh, but that's, you know, I mean, for me, it. I feel like everybody's instrument is different, the vocal instrument. So what works for some people doesn't work for everybody. Like I know there's a couple of, uh, there's, a, there's one instructor that my friend suggested for me because I do have, you know, it's funny when, when you have a weakness in anything that you do, you kind of work on your weakness until it becomes a strength. Well, I have my strengths when I sing and I have my weaknesses when I sing and I run from my weaknesses. <laughs> I don't want to work on them. I have this break. If I sing, okay, so something like Highway Star, for instance, if it's, it's a G. It's always like... Okay, if I have to hang on that note for an entire song, I'm fatigued and can't sing the next song. So I don't sing that song anymore unless I did a video of it at the beginning of COVID. And that, that was fine because it was just one, one song. But um, anything like that, I, I find, okay, it's my break. And then so one, one friend of mine, you got to see this lady. She's done wonders for me. Like I had a break. And I, I feel like it, uh, she totally helped me through the break. And then I connected my head and my, my falsetto and I, you got to try it. And I'm like, uh, I'm skeptical because if I have what, if I know what I'm doing and it works, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. But so I thought, you know, I'm kind of curious. So at the time we were doing, um, I have my placement. I know what I had to do before a Bon Jovi show. And 
I'm, I'm delivering every night and everything's good and I'm not getting tired. Two, three shows in a row, no problem. I got it. I can do a wanted with my eyes closed at the, at, you know, in the, in the second encore and I'm good. And then I take this vocal lesson and I, f it, it ruined me. So I thought, okay, that's not for me, but it was, when I say it ruined me, everything that was effortless prior was work the next night. I felt like I was tired and I was like, wait a minute, what happened? This was easy two nights ago and now it's not. So I, I feel like it's a, it's an important thing to find kind of what you're working with on your own. And then if somebody can help you, great. And if don't think that because it worked for somebody else, it'll work for you. I, uh, one of the things that I did was, you know, like you were saying, you know, three forty-five minutes, that's a night, three or four nights a week. You've, you lose your voice, get it back, lose your voice, get it back. And then you learn about pacing and then you learn about how to put this note so you can sing the next song and you learn as you go. And that, that's exactly what happened to me. It just, I just learned along the way and something helped and something didn't. And, um, and then the other thing too is, you know, people go, man, I, I just saw your, your black dog with Dan and Tishy and holy shit on your voice. And I'm like, yeah, but echo is a wondrous thing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how I feel. That's how, exactly how I feel. Awesome. Awesome. So you mentioned Bon Jovi. Obviously, I want to touch on that a bit. So you started with them, I guess, at subbing about a decade ago, right? Yeah. That, what's the date today? The 12th. In two days will be 10 years. Wow. John Bon Jovi actually called me. That's so cool. And it's funny because um, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those, it's, it's kind of crazy. It was, when, you, when you go back 10 years ago, it's, it was life-changing. But it was more life-changing when it happened again in 2013, around the same, also in April. So it was, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things. I feel like, uh, I feel like it's been amazing in some ways. Um, and then it's been kind of difficult in other ways. Like when I, in 2013, when I disappeared for nine months to do 90 shows, um, or whatever it was, I came back and <clears throat> sessions changed. Mm. I heard, uh, you know, uh, no, Phil's on the road with Bon Jovi. Who else can we get? And meanwhile, I'm at home. Or, or there's no way we can afford Phil anymore. He's in Bon Jovi. That kind of stuff. So my, it hindered my session situation, which I got to say now is COVID. When people started making music again in June, I, I, I've been so busy because if you can record at home, they just Dropbox. <laughs> and then, and then and when I was still in LA, because I'm in Nashville now, but when I was in LA, I, I, I did a couple of COVID sessions where everybody's wearing masks and you have your coffee, your tuner and hand sanitizer on your amp and white bees everywhere and go to the bathroom with gloves on it's, it's i mean the whole thing right so it's been it's been a it's a been a it's been a busy time but it's also been really great um you know i, I got to work with uh ron nevison last year who uh you know 
I mean, I had heard his name, but I wasn't, I didn't go deep until I learned I was doing the session. And then I, I Googled him and it was like, what he's done so much as a producer, as an engineer. And um, when you're having lunch, you're, you all feel like you're at the same, we're all at the same table. We're at the same session. We're kind of all equal, right? And then he says, oh, like when I put the phase on John Bonham's drums in cashmere. <laughs> and you're like, you win. <laughs> you're the guy. You're you're it. You're the guy. So, but that's the other thing. When you when you get to being being in the session world in, in one way is uh is it's it can be kind of like this big sparkly rock and roll, oh my god, I'm I'm working with a hero kind of thing, right? You know, uh working with Chris Cornell was amazing, working with Alice Cooper, obviously Rob Zombie. I was a big fan of uh Hellbilly Deluxe and working on his next record was amazing and you know that you get to you're being here in the room with these guys you know and i was a huge time uh monty crew fan so i was working with when i was working with tommy lee that was another uh wow and then and then your buds he's like hey we're having a party at my house come on over i'm like okay what? Awesome. yeah so it's i mean that's all that's another bonus of uh of, of being in that rising to that status and then you become friends with the other guys, like good friends with Tim. I love Tim Pierce. He's amazing. And then uh, I was, you know, I've hung and played with and talked to Richard Fortas every week. Like, you know, even when like, dude, I'm looking at the 64 SG Jr. in polar white. He goes, how is it? I go, it's amazing. He goes, well, if you don't get it, I'm getting it. I'm like, okay, I got to get it. You know, it's, I mean, you have these relationships, you know, I have a relationship with Pete Thorne. He's another amazing guy, another amazing player. And, uh, you know, I was on his show and we talk, we go deep into, you know, guitar land. And then you get so many messages from friends and, and fans. Like I saw the video with you and Pete, man. Oh my God. It's amazing. It's, I watch it every week. Every time I've hit a stump, I watch that video and I'm like, wow. I mean, it's a, it's a gift that keeps giving, right? Dude, I got, I mean, from, from my perspective as being, you know, someone who my students look to having this YouTube page be a hub where I can reach out to all the people that you just mentioned, yeah. and be like, Hey, you want to talk to me? And now this is a place where anyone can come see me talk to my heroes, talk about music and, and all these different facets of it. I think it's just, there's so much value and it's so inspiring. So oh, yeah. dude, I get it, man. I get it. I want to ask you some nerdy gear stuff for a second, if that's all right. Do it. All right. So uh, let's go here first. What are your thoughts on amp modeling technology? Are you a tube guy or you Axe FX if you need it, especially with like session, you know, sort of stuff? Well, I mean, all, this, all the really big sessions are always a tube amp because it's a producer who knows what he's doing. And if you walk in with, hey, I got this, uh, modeler they'll be like can we get somebody else here where's my phone <laughs> i mean uh you know what i feel like a lot of those modelers are great at high gain stuff i really do i feel like they're great at high gain stuff not so great at angus young and jimmy page yep. and i also feel like even when you do that that the i don't i think there's something missing i don't think it's been perfected yet I think squeals. This is a new. This is going to be a new drill song. Chugs, mutes, and squeals. Those are the telltale for me. For my ear, 
those are where fig comes in. That's everything. Wow, that sounds really good. And then you hear the chug or a mute or a squeal, and you go, yeah, that's fig. And that's, I, I mean, I think a lot of people hear it, but a lot of people are in denial about it. <laughs> um, I'll tell you where I am, though. There's a, I record amps here at home. I got, you know, the amps, the, the heads over here. I got uh, two or three different cabinets in the closet over there, barricaded with baffling and stuff like this. Everything's mic'd up, ready to go. And when it's daytime, I'm working the amps. But if, uh, if it gets to a point where it's getting late or the kids are going to bed, um, and okay, I gotta shut it down. Uh, I would prefer going to a cabinet simulator than a plugin. Yeah. Cause I find the cabinet simulator sounds closer to the amp. Cause there's a lot of amazing IRs out there. And I've the ox, I mean, this thing the ox is great. I mean, the same technology in the, in the two notes, I've been using the two notes capture X and, uh, I actually used it for a bass the other day and the bass came out amazing. And I, I work with guys that are Grammy award winning um, mixers and they're like, what bass app is that? I'm like, <laughs> I'm not telling you. <laughs> but in all honesty, I, I feel, uh, I feel it's way closer. If I send my Marshall or my Friedman amp into the two notes, it's got the load, which is makes me happy. And then I go straight into pro tools um and then you go to you know hundreds of cabinets on and dial it in on your phone too which is amazing man i think i'm gonna use this cabinet and uh it's i think it sounds more real than than uh than a plug-in but um again i'll always you know always go with the head and cap if i can you're the first person I've heard call out the squealies. I've been talking to my buddy about that forever because, you know, like when the, when the spider came out, the line six and the pod, yeah. you go to the insane setting. And I swear you could be like first day touching a guitar and you'd sound like Zach Wild. And that's just not, you got to earn those. And uh, yeah. I totally hear what you're saying. Yeah. Well, it's funny because it was like, uh, you know, when you're true with Bon Jovi, you get some opening acts and some, and you, and you, I, I get jealous because we have a clean stage. My, my cabinets are in ISO boxes. Wow like 50 feet away from the stage and I'm using in-ears. Everything's right next to my ear. I don't feel a cabinet throwing air and moving my pant leg. I don't get to turn around and have the magnets talk and get that feedback. I don't get to do that. So we'd have opening acts that come on stage and they have stacks. And I was, I was like, I'm really jealous. Wait, you're in the, you're in the headliner. Why are you jealous? Like they have cabinets. <laughs> I become a baby. I'm a big baby about cabinets, but at the same time, we had some opening acts. You know, this guy. This guy uses uh, um, Kemper. This guy uses uh, Axe Effects or Fractal or whatever it is. And I'm walking around a stadium, going, you know, they're like, hey, nobody notices, and I'm like, well, I notice. <laughs> and, uh, and it's funny because I was uh, backstage one time in Bucharest, and I was getting something to eat, and I heard this amazing guitar tone come out of the PA. And I'm like, what's that? And as I'm walking to the stage to see what it is, I'm, I start hearing my licks. And then I'm like, wait, is it Mark my tech playing my rig? And then when I get there, nobody's playing. Um, the sound guy, our sound guy, Bill, had recorded me doing the, the DI check. Uh, and 
and he was playing it back. Wow. So this amazing tone that in the PA was me playing my rig <laughs> after the fact. So that's why it was, it was confusing at first. But, I mean, not to pat myself on the back, but, yeah, my rig sounded amazing. Um, so I was pretty happy about that. When you first got the Bon Jovi thing, what was it like to have to learn, or I guess, you know, along the way, what was it like to learn, you know, such a massive catalog? Was it like learn everything or was it just a specific set and add extra songs as needed? Um, the, the latter of what you just said, it was, uh, you know, when John called, he said, you know, if you learn a, a two and a half hour set, that's a lot of songs. Yeah. Uh, if you come out here knowing, ready to do a 25, you know, a two and a half hour set, we'll be fine. And I'm like, Okay. You know, anybody else would have been like 90 minutes, 75 minutes. No, not, not here. So it was pretty in, intense. Um, but I, I did get some time to learn the songs. And the, and the funny thing was when you like living on prayer and bad and you give love a bad name, those are songs of my youth. You know, that came out when I was still going to bars with friends and it'd come on and we'd be screaming, ah, out of prayer. you know, that kind of thing. So a song, song of my youth, when I, I never learned it, but I've heard it a million times. So learning that was easy. Uh, you know, you give a little bit of a bad name. Oh, yeah, sure, no problem. Um, but then you dig deeper into the catalog. What? They have a country record? And now you're learning, like, you know, Lost Highway, uh, a whole lot of leaving going on. And you're like, oh, my God. And then going on and on. And I didn't want to make charts because when you make charts, you kind of, like, it's hard to get off the charts. Yeah. So I, I try to commit everything to memory. So I committed everything to memory. And the, the, the best savior for me was the teleprompter so i could just memorize all the guitars and read the lyrics that i had to sing all the backgrounds so that that was that was that was awesome but uh and then and then it did happen you know i'd get out and i, I couldn't get comfortable because once oh man that was an amazing show hey can you learn these two songs for the next show okay and it, it continued. And even in 2013, hey, we had a new record come out. Learn these three songs for tonight. Wow. <laughs> I just kept going and going. And then, uh, oh, yeah, Richie's not coming back, so we're going to need you to go to Europe next week. And we do three-and-a-half-hour shows, so learn these 20 songs. I was like, I don't, get it. I don't even get a week off. <laughs> so, but you want to, you know, there's, there's a situation where um, there was a couple of things. Some things you have to get, let go. Like, I didn't know, you know, when you do a song like, uh, and just, throw out an example when you do a song like uh dry county you can't pull that solo out of your butt mm -hmm. the fans want solo on the record or as, as close as possible or close to something that richie's done live that strayed a little bit so when i did dry county the first time like that arrangement is crazy. So I thought okay well, let's just wing the solo the first couple of times and that was the first time that John came up to me go and I said, I think you gotta learn the solo of that Dry County. <laughs> I was like, Yeah, man, I'm totally down. No problem. I'll get it for next time. But uh, and it was another time having Takumi, my tech, who had tech for Richie for ages, he he was my tech and he brutally honest. He reminded me of my brother, because my brother was the only guy I grew up with who wasn't, oh my God, you're an amazing guitar player. He was like, ah, I was okay. You know, so that Takumi became my brother. Takumi, um, you know, I would be doing a runaway, the solo for runaway every night, and I would change it up because I, you know, I was just changing it up because Richie does too. So, um, and then, uh, so he'd come and change guitars after runaway, and he'd go, hey, great solo. But then I'd do the runaway the next night, and he'd come and change guitars and go, 
<laughs> Thanks. Maybe I'll learn that solo too. You know, so I ended up learning learning solo after that. I, I just so, have to do like those songs. Like I've, I've played my fair share of weddings and, and bar gigs where you play one of those living on a prayer, love a bad name, dead or alive. And just watching people, you know, third set at a wedding, everyone's hammered. You play living on a prayer. You hit the set, the last chorus, it modulates, people lose their minds. I can't for the life of me imagine how magical that feels to be on the stage with the guys doing that in a giant arena. Like how, how do you keep your composure? That would, I would just melt into a million pieces. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Um, when you're on a big stage like that, staying out of your head is probably in the top five of rules because <laughs> it's uh if you get in your head that's when you start messing up that's when you you uh trip and when you really when you get on a stage that big you're the only one that can get in your way mm-hmm. so i mean to answer the question about living on a prayer for me it's as soon as i get on the talk box not not the warm-up but as soon as that <clears throat> as, I've never, I've never seen being in an audience or looking at an audience, whether it's 20,000 people or 3,000 people or it's 80,000, 100,000 people at Rock and Rio. I've never seen an audience get as electric as when that, <clears throat> never seen, it's like unbelievable. I still get, I played it 200 times and I still get goosebumps. I'm going to hear the story. Like, See, there you go. Yeah, incredible. Goosebumps. <laughs> so, um, it's it's kind of uh it's, it's it's one of those amazing things. So and 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 you know what? It's aside from that, aside from the songs, um, you know, like when we play Toronto, my mom comes out, so she'll come to the arena, and I get her good seats because I don't want her sitting at the back, and you know, and when we play Toronto, John twice was like, hey, why don't you um sing the second verse of Wanted Dead or Life for your mom. Uh, but he says this on stage. He doesn't talk about it before. And he just looks at me and goes, you say, I'm like, and then he goes, Hey, this is for your mom. And then I look at my mom and I'm singing the second verse for one dead or alive. And my mom is beaming. Like I've never seen her beam before. And we both remember my dad. We lost my dad when, uh, in 2005, uh, this month. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough month, but he, he would have been so, so, so in, in like, I don't even know the words to describe what he'd be feeling and seeing. So we, we both have that connection and we think about my dad and it's, it's pretty intense, but uh, you know, my dad as, as supportive as he was, he always said, you have a better chance of winning a lottery than becoming a rock star. And he, it was, it was a reality check for him. It wasn't to tell me you suck or it'll never happen. It was like, why don't you go to school and have something to fall back on in case your dream doesn't work out. <laughs> so I, I, I think I did pretty good, but uh, I still feel like, you know, he's watching from above beaming kind of thing. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's epically heavy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. I'm going to pivot before I start crying. Um, I want to ask you about your pickups and then I want to play my this or that game. So, you know, what, what was the process in designing, you know, the, the PX 90, the hundred, like just, it does, it always fascinates me when people have signature things, something that they put their name onto and then it's available to us as, you know, fans, like, is it 
this many windings. No, 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 send it back. That many windings. Like, is well, it? You, I got I got lucky with Rob at Arcane because he 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 messes around a lot. Like he constantly is. Uh, he's a he's a nerd. We're all nerds, but he digs deep into uh, what can I what can I do that nobody else is doing kind of thing, and what what can we do to make it better. And uh, me, I was, he knew I liked uh, P90s. And he called me and said, hey, do you want to do a signature P90? Because I've been messing around with some ideas. And his, his main idea was, like, I like low output pickups. I prefer low, low output pickups because it makes a guitar speak. And he, gave, he sent me a, uh, a P90 that's usually, like, between 7 and 8 output the resistance to like it was 13 and I go this is a little high for me he goes but the wire gauge is way thinner oh. so it wasn't even the winding it was the wire gauge and I'm like oh well, I don't know what that means but I'll check it out so I put it in a guitar and freaked out because I love I love P90s because they sound angry to me and this thing sounded angry but clearer than any P90 I'd ever heard uh, so it wasn't like, it's not right, send it back. It's not right, send it back. It was the first one he sent me. I was like, fuck, this is amazing. Yes. So that was that was pretty exciting. And then he and then he said, well, let's just do a PX100, which will be the P90 in a, in a humbucker housing. So if, you can just drop it in a Les Paul or whatever. And then um, and then we went to, into humbucker land because I love humbuckers too. But we made a... A PX8, 8 is for Alnico 8 magnet. So we made a, a low output one and a high output one. And the high output one, I'm pretty sure, is similar to the Super 70s pickup that was in Edward Van Halen's Ibanez Destroyer that recorded You Really Got Me and Running With The Devil. Um, it's pretty similar, if not bang on, to that pickup. So if you stick that pickup in a hunk of mahogany, it it sounds it sounds like Van Halen, <laughs> but um, I'm just I'm just saying. Um, but that's I mean I, I, it's really cool where uh, when you get to another status. I mean, obviously being in a mega band like Bon Jovi, but also being in uh, another band. I mean, uh, in a recording situation and a session. Excuse me, a sought after session guy uh, where. You know, Arcane calls and says, hey, we want to make you a pickup. Or uh, Friedman's like, hey, man, why don't you check out the BE-100? I'm like, awesome. And then I'm playing it, and I'm like, I think this is the best amp I've ever played in my life, which is a long life. And then he goes, hey, would you want to do a head? Like, what would you change if you could change something to BE-100? And I go, well, I love the BE-100, but I also like, I'm also a huge fan of, of uh classic rock so when i just turn down the game to do more zeppelin -y, ac dc kind of stuff all the magic goes away and he goes well let's do a game cut and i've never done that for anyone before so but i went to his actual shop and there's my head sitting with a chassis open and solder iron one hand and components and i'm hitting chords in a mic cabinet and oh that sounds a little brittle that's a little better but it sounds a little like and then he takes an alligator clip and puts it in the right spot. And I go, Rah! and there's angels singing. I was like, what? That's it. 
makes a note of it. Okay, we're done. It sends it to the builder, and that's my head. So, like, these being on a stage in a mega band is what dreams are made of. But having this guy, this guy who can look at an amp and read it like a book, exactly achieve what I'm hearing in my head, and then here's your head, and here's your pickup, and now I'm with Gibson, and here's your guitar. It's like, I mean, those those are also what dreams are made of. All these are like dreams come true. So it's pretty amazing. I think it's incredible. It's clearly, obviously, well deserved. But it, you well, know, that, but the funny thing is, is when you're playing your guitar with your pickup and your amp, and uh, somebody walks up and goes, "Wow, your tone is fantastic." I go, "Well, everything was kind of made for me. So if it wasn't fantastic, I'd be a fucking idiot." <laughs> Excuse my language. Sorry. Well, it's okay, man. It's rock and roll. It's interesting because I just got a, a Les Paul Jr. with P90s, my first P90 guitar ever, and I was looking into swapping in your pickup. So that that may be my. Dude, I will get you a deal. Yeah. How does cost sound right now? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds beautiful. <laughs> awesome, brother. Wow. Oh my gosh, this has been so cool. Like I have a million other things, but I want to get to my this or that segment of the show before we run out of time. So. Okay, I'm ready. It is a series of this or that questions, one or the other. You don't have to justify your answer, though it's funnier when you do. Try your best not to say both, though a lot of them you'll want to say both. Okay? Wow, okay. All righty, here we go. Humbucker or single coil? Humbucker. Okay. Les Paul or Strat? Les Paul. Okay. Well, Fender, yes. Okay, so can I say Strat or Telly or is that? How about a Strelly? Beautiful. Okay. Les Paul or SG? No, because I do have a Strat that has a Telewound pickup in it, and that sounds amazing. Okay. That's yeah. hey, That's fair. Yeah. Uh, Les Paul or SG? SG. Access to the 22nd fret. <laughs> uh, tremolo or a uh, stop tailpiece? Stop tailpiece. 22 or 24 frets? 22. Oh, do wait. I'm going to. I'm going to go 24. Okay. One, those two extra frets, man. You could say so much higher. It does. It adds something. It's like you have two more choices. <laughs> Even though sometimes I get lost on it because I'm on 22 so much. Right? It's so disorienting. It probably, totally. Uh, thin, medium, or thick pick? Medium. Okay. Well, 88.88 millimeter. But I record with a medium celluloid pick. Up. I mean pick. Because I love the sound, and I just can't use them live because I tear them apart by the first chorus. Cool, cool. Nines or tens or elevens? Nine and a half. Ooh, fancy pants. <laughs> if you were to grab a bass, would it be a P bass or a jazz bass style P. instrument? P. P? Okay. For acoustics, I don't know, I guess some uh, Martin Taylor or Gibson? Well, I'm going to say because I've recorded them all. And have never had as much success as the J100 Gibson. Magic. I mean, you know when you know when a producer goes, uh, "Let's get that guy that played on the Daughtry record," and make sure he brings that acoustic. <laughs> That's a pretty cool thing to be said. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. Um, okay. I, this is an amp question, but you, you, you Friedman so killer, so I don't think this is a fair one. But we'll skip that one. Okay. Effects, delay, or reverb. Delay. Fuzz or overdrive? Love both, but for everything, an everything thing, overdrive. 
Cool. Yeah, that's a rough question because they're they're different animals. Yeah. Phaser or chorus? Phaser. That's the right answer. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you had to choose a wah pedal or a volume pedal. What? Kind of I use my volume knob. Right, yeah. That's your pedal. I got it down. Right in the pinky. <laughs> All right. A couple uh couple band questions. Oh. Beatles or stones? Fuck. Beatles. Okay, I was hoping you'd they're, they're neck and neck. I want to make it harder. John or Paul? Paul. Even though John is edgier, Paul. I agree. I think I think if I met John in real life, I think if I hung out with him for a long time, we might not get along. Whereas Paul is just like he's Paul. He's chill. Paul is just like a happy go lucky walrus, yeah. right? <laughs> Uh, Bowie or Dylan? Bowie. Cool. Zeppelin or Floyd? Zeppelin. Okay. If it were in Pink Floyd land, would it be Dark Side or The Wall? The Wall kind of changed my life because I was in grade seven. All my friends were starting to smoke weed, and I didn't. But that song made me feel like I was high, even though I wasn't. Does that make sense? It totally does. I'm a Wall guy, too. I mean, listen, if I hear... Us and them makes me cry openly when it hits the chorus, but just the wall as a complete word, just special to me. Yeah. A cigar on? No, that's Wish You Were Here. Have a Cigar is my favorite Pink Floyd song of all time. You got to hear. I'll send you a link. Um, I just did a cover of it with a a new artist, and uh, we shot a video and everything. And It's one of those things where, you know, it's actually I'm getting too long of a story out of this. (laughs) I'll send you a link. I I can send you the link. You can check it out. Cool, cool. All right, two more. Uh, Pearl Jam and Nirvana. Nirvana. Okay, and then this one. They're almost two different bands with each singer, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but I'm going to say Hagar or or Roth. Oh, man. Come on, Roth. I mean, wait, I love Sam Hagar. Didn't love Van Hagar. Got it. And Roth was the first... um, Was the first... uh, guy where i was like this guy is owning all twenty thousand people in this room right now he was the first guy that had that so i got to see him when they did the reunion with roth and it was like a life-changing experience i never thought i would see it and then um he did like those vegas things a couple years back and everyone was shitting on him but he opened up when i saw kiss if i heard, I heard that was way better than Vegas, dude it was like I was like, I don't know what that stuff I saw on YouTube was, but he was on fire. Yeah. Like I was. He still can. He still can. Yeah. Um, I saw some videos. I saw, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of like changing. Mel- okay. Changing melodies is okay. Singers are allowed to do that, but not changing the vibe. Like I saw a video of um, everybody wants some. And. Instead of going, can't get romantic on the subway line, which that's what I want to hear. Um, you can't get romantic on a subway line. I'm like, dude, didn't you used to make fun of Journey? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, dude, that that that's my show, man. We're gonna leave it right there on that. This has awesome. been so cool dude thank you for your time i mean this has just been 
you know, I, I've been hoping to, to get to talk to you for a while. So thank you so much. Well, I, I apologize for being late, but uh, I had a lot of fun too, man. Thank you so much. Awesome, brother. We got the whole show in. This thing's going to live on YouTube. Anyone watching this in the future, thank you so much for checking it out. Peace and love. Stay safe. You stay safe. All right. I don't know what to do. All right. Fair. All okay, right. buddy. Thanks, man.